Welcome to episode 111 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about Canadian theater makers, featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you're a first-time listener and you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a comment or rating. Your ratings help new people find the show. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. My guests this week are Julia Nishalapidus and James Wallace of Shakespeare Bashed. Shakespeare Bashed is presenting Richard III from February 6th to 11th at the Monarch Tavern in Toronto. So I know Shakespeare Bash from Fringe. Okay. Um, and I know my familiarity is with um, you know shows at the Victory Cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, first off, like how did you start doing Shakespeare as part of Fringe at the Victory Cafe? Where did that come from? It all goes back to our first date. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to start a story. Yeah. I mean, we we were on our first date. We're both Shakespeare lovers. We talked mm-hmm. about that a lot. And at a certain point, James said to me, kind of like a line, he was like, "Oh, you know, I've always wanted to do Taming of the Shrew in a bar, and you would you should play Kate, and I'll play Petruchio." And I was like, "That's not a complimentary character to <laughs> offer someone on a first date. You should play a shrew." Uh, but we did. That was our first full production, okay. was Taming of the Shrew in a bar at the Fringe. Wow. And it was the summer before our wedding. Was that was that at the Victory? Yes, Taming yes. the Shrew was at the Victory, yeah. yeah. It was our first Fringe show. It was our first. Before that, we had done some staged readings, mm-hmm. but we had never done a full production. So Taming of the Shrew was our first hmm. full production, uh, which was great. And it won Best of Fringe. Yeah. And it kind of, like, kick-started us. Yeah, that's great. Um, and... You sort of went back to the the victory like a set like almost if to me it feels like you were there every year. We were. We were five straight years. We did that is uh, a lot of fringing. Five straight. Yeah, years. it was something that we were very happy to do, but also quite exhausted by the final year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was part of what we wanted to do, which was find ways to bring Shakespeare to uh, great venues, more social kind of fun casual. venues, casual, sure, um, and that's sort of where it started. So we always felt very uh, loyal to the Fringe, and they were always very good to us. Um, we had a great following, and we always knew that we could have a great time at the Victory Cafe. Plus, it made sense to us. Mm-hmm. I think that there was something when the venue was there, when when it was you know when the Fringe tent yeah. was right outside the Victory, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that sort of real big spark that came yeah. from that central area. So it was kind of magical being there for five years, and our last year was the last year the tent was mm-hmm. there. Uh, it was the last year that the Victory Cafe was around. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like a, a nice run and a nice time to end it. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I was uh, up in the annex area and the Victory Cafe is re-establishing yeah. itself in yeah. a new location. But I, looking at it, I'm like, 
is it is it can it be the Victory Cafe if it's not in that building? Not in that building? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be very interesting. Very different. Nick, who runs it, he also runs the Crafty Coyote across the street. So now he's going to have two places like Kitty Corner to each other. And I think the plan is to get the vibe of the victory back. Okay. We'll see. I think well, Nick's smart. He'll do it. Yeah, yeah. He, he knows what he what what his uh, his patrons want. So it was a great. Sure. It was a really special place. The Victory Cafe. Yeah. We had so much fun there. You know, it was always it was always a challenge, whether it be space or air conditioning or any number of things. That first summer there doing Taming of the Shrew it was it was deadly mm. in, that, in that hot <clears throat> space. And yeah, we were shocked. People kept coming yeah. to be in that hot hot room with us. That was fun. It, it's funny that that like when a show is really like when a show catches like that 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 it doesn't really matter if there's no air conditioning yeah. in the room people will just keep coming. It yeah. was crazy. <clears throat> we were we were like this is something we really want to do. We're excited about it. We found other artists who were excited about it too. Mm-hmm. So we were like great. Let's do this. Let's just give it a try. No one really does Shakespeare on the Fringe, which is funny to say now because now lots of people do. But at the time yeah. it was like a weird thing that we sure. were doing. Uh, and no one did Shakespeare on bars, but we were like, well, let's let's give it a try. And all of a sudden, our first show sold out, and we had no idea how or why. Uh, and we just discovered we had, like, hit on something. We figured it out now, I think. Now we yeah. figured it out. Well, not but we really. were, Not completely. It was, uh, it was kind of magical, the way yeah. it just kind of... The, the audience came to us. It seemed to be something they were looking for. Yeah, it was... It's You know, it's a very controversial play, obviously, so... Mm. It, having it happen in such a social and fun atmosphere where you could have yeah. a beer and sort of see the play in that context, I think it added a new experience, and that's what sort of we were going after. And we had a really good show. Like yeah. um, the director Eric Double was so he's such a good clown, and he really brought that spirit to the yeah. space. And so many like old friends. Like thinking back on it now, it's mm-hmm. like some of our closest friends were in that show, that first show together. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was very special to us for sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting you're talking about like bringing Shakespeare to number one the fringe but also to and putting it in places that people don't expect it um a lot of times we find like i know i sometimes get frustrated with 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 shakespeare and the way it's done that uh you know it's costumes and this and you know uh, it's stratford this and very staid and and you know combine that with the fact that a lot of people grew up or came through school with a negative feeling yeah. about Shakespeare mm-hmm. because of how we teach it in schools, because mm-hmm. th- because we teach it in schools to begin with. Um, was that something that you guys were thinking about when you started thinking about putting Shakespeare in a bar? Yeah. I mean, we love it so much, but we're very used to the, the responses to people when they first hear about Shakespeare and kind of go, oh, yeah, well, I don't really understand it. Uh-huh. It's hard to understand. Uh-huh. Oh, it's no fun. No, you know, I, I don't, I like to go and, and enjoy myself at something. I don't want to sit and be proper. And we're yeah. like, yeah, but that's not what Shakespeare intended with these plays. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They were written for the masses. Yeah. They were written for a group of people standing in a pit to cheer and boo and laugh. Yeah. And, and we were like, that's like that's what it should be. And people could enjoy it and understand it. Yeah. Uh, and we found that they do. Sometimes we, like, your dad came to see one of our shows. Yeah, he, uh, my father, who's, who's who's quite intelligent, but he's not certainly a Shakespeare buff by any means. Maybe he is now. But um, he said, you know, we did King John in this, like, little punk rock venue called Junction City Music Hall. It was really fun. And, you know, I came up to him at 
intermission and I said, you know, how you doing? You know, he needed a beer. Someone like, do you, are you enjoy yourself? And he said, well, I just also worry. And I said, okay. He's yeah, like, I what, don't think I understand what's happening. What do you think's going on? And he told me, you know, this, this, and this person's this. And I was like, yeah, that's basically the, the, what's going on. He understood everything. He yeah. just assumed he couldn't. Right. Which I find, right. that's that's a lot of it. People are like, no, I'm not going to understand Shakespeare. And it's like, no, no, no. Yeah. You can. Just stop assuming you can. Yeah. I think it comes from, they make us read it in school. It's yeah. not like, meant not to just, be read. Not just read it like sit down with it open but then they like turn to people who don't know what the text says and says read this passage yeah and nobody because you have to take you have to interpret it and once you know what it means you can make other people understand and it's what meant it means. to be performed yeah and, and read aloud and have so much else going on with it that it brings it to life mm-hmm. in a way that you can't when you're just like looking at it on a piece of paper yeah absolutely yeah I mean you identified it really well but interpretation I mean that's the the sort of great amount of impact that it can have from if it is at Stratford on these sort of lavish and, and beautiful and, and at times very intimate productions that I've seen and been a part of, been very fortunate to be a part of there. And, you know, versus us, who's in a 50-seat theater bar, thank sure. you, yeah. Th- theater, I'm doing theater air quotes right now, um, you know, and so, like, I think Shakespeare can be big, it can be small, it can be intimate, it can be grand. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just what kind of uh, interpretation are you trying to bring to it? Is it is it part of what the text is telling you? Is, sure. it, is it true in that way to you? Um, so that's what Shakespeare can do. I mean, high school is, you know, tough for a lot of things. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it, but I think I'm not the best test subject for mm. <laughs> enjoying Shakespeare in high school. But I agree with you; it it, it it's hard to read. It takes a long yeah. time to really understand how to do that. And it's hard to teach. It's hard to read plays in general. Yeah. Like, it's not a skill that I think we learn easily. Yeah. No. And uh, so, learn le- reading a play that's 400 years old and iambic yeah. pentameter. That's not an easy thing. We're not. I mean, interestingly, we're not used to reading scripts, and that no. was yeah. to me that was made uh, apparent when uh, the the Harry Potter. Play was published, right. and Indigo was advertising it like uh, the new Harry Potter. And people were like, "It's a new Harry Potter book," yeah. and they got it, and they were like, "What is this? Yeah. This is what is this?" And people don't know how to interpret a script. The yeah. online reviews were hilarious. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> people were so angry that it was a play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I, I think I agree with you. It's it's hard to it's we don't we don't learn that skill right away. Yeah. I, I remember being in school and I liked Shakespeare. Like I had seen it. Like I think I mean the first play I saw and it's probably why it's still uh why I still have a, a soft spot for it was As You Like It. Mm-hmm. People were like it's a problematic play but I'm like I just love it. Cuz like the first it. one I saw is like my first love. Um play everybody loves to hate. That's right. Um <laughs> So I had like and that was my first exposure and then I went into school and everybody was hating it and I was like what's wrong with you guys <laughs> and then as I watched other people struggle with it I really understood why they didn't because yeah. they were faced with reading it before seeing it yeah mm-hmm. makes a big difference yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> what is your theater background like why did you guys decide that this was a thing you were gonna do it's a great question why did we (laughs) well we fell in love and mutual love was of shakespeare and i think that was something that we did uh but we both your mom before that yeah yeah Yeah. i was uh i was always drawn to shakespeare since i was very young and i think you were too i mean that's one of those things I, i i i remember distinctly being sick when i was 11 years old 
and reading um, The Merchant of Venice and not really completely understanding it. My sister had a copy of The Complete Works and I picked it up and I read it, but being intrigued by it and then I think it became more interesting to me, became more of a... Like, I think for me, what I love about Shakespeare from then till now is that you can investigate. It's so much. It's bottomless. It's completely and utterly... Um, unfathomably big and mm. huge and you can always dive into it and find something new so I think I've always been that curious about it sure um, <clears throat> I I mean my parents have always loved theater and always exposed me to a lot mm-hmm. of theater which was great and I mean from when I was very little I had this little box full of those tiny little books that you have as a kid like little Robert Munch but they were all like tiny little versions and in that little box was also a book of sonnets Mm. all of Shakespeare's sonnets and this tiny little book that I would read and have my parents read to me from a very young age so I always loved it I loved the words the rhythm of it the poetry Mm. I just got really into it so like when I turned 10 my birthday present was a complete works and I just started reading my way through Mm. it my mom always laughed because James also as a kid had some Shakespeare books and uh, when she found that out, she said, well, it was meant to be the only two <laughs> children who read Shakespeare found each other. Yeah, my grandmother used to take me to shows in uh, Stratford and also, like, you know, uh, shows at the park, mm-hmm. at Hyde Park, which I remember very distinctly, you know. So yeah. I think it was we were very, 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 very fortunate to have that influence early on in yeah. our life. And uh, I think professionally was more of a sense of I find Shakespeare such a very great equalizer for actors. And mm-hmm. we're both actors. We both were actors first before we became producers and directors. Um, and I always found it to be the great equalizer in the world of theater and acting. And so I always really loved being a part of any Shakespeare play. I was, sure. you know, working with Resurgence in Newmarket or Theater by the Bay and Barry. Like, when I was very young, get out of school, like, I was always so... Um, mesmerized by what an ensemble can do with these plays mm. and how challenged these and actors and that there are so many different things yeah. you can do with it it's so much full of choices yeah, yeah. And the text gives you opportunities to make these really uh, really uh, important interesting choices in the moment so um, I also just also find it baffling how relevant the plays can still mm-hmm. be yeah. yeah and and I sometimes like and sometimes am saddened by that fact Uh, but but it's really interesting to think that something that was worth writing about hundreds of years ago is still something so relevant like right now we're working on Richard the third yeah couldn't be more topical absolutely and after this we're doing measure for measure so like yeah they're and that's why I say like sadly relevant no absolutely but but I've find it exciting to think about these words that were said so long ago that can still have such resonance and relevance to yeah. us now. Mm. I like that history. Yeah, and I like the opportunity to reinvent it and figure mm-hmm. out what it is for us now in 2017. Yeah. The words, too, right? The yeah. words are so... That, to me, is always what I, I, I am I'm absolutely um, excited by, is the words and what they can do in the moment, you know. I, I've i been in the audience or on stage when I felt that energy of of, of words and other actors and mm-hmm. story, and that's really what I go to, I yeah. gravitate towards. So, um, you know, I get really fortunate. Yeah. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, you know, on the talking about the words, I remember being in, in theater school and the acting teacher, and we got to our Shakespeare module in first year, 
uh, and people were trying to work so hard to emote and things. And you'd just be like, it's in there. Yeah, mm-hmm. just You don't it. have to work at it. Just say the words and it works. And people were like, what do you mean? Yeah. I just have to say the words. But it's so true. You don't have to work really hard at it. I found actually emotion sometimes in Shakespeare is always tied to words. Mm, I mean, yeah. emotion is almost always tied to uh, a question sometimes or, or, or a metaphor, an image. So... It's 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 a type of theater that maybe we don't produce as much now in terms of the way we write plays now. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other conversation. But Shakespeare is about what the text is resonating in that moment. You need Hamlet needs you know um, oh what a rogue and peasant slave am I? Mm-hmm. You know he needs that outburst of and he needs rogue and peasant slave in order to express what he's in that moment. Yeah, Tutu sullied flesh. Like he's so emotional. Yeah, in that play and yeah. it's all tied to it's all tied to metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I agree with you. It's and you know I've I've had some of the best teachers I I can uh, I can ever hope for. Ian Watson is was my theater school teacher and he was mm-hmm. he, he's a genius in my opinion so uh and you also a high school teacher michael halfen from mm-hmm. newmarket he was really into shakespeare mm-hmm. and he brought that to us in our drama t- he, he made it he made it essential to us mm-hmm. um as we went through the drama years into oac which was an old thing kids an old they thing don't that do that don't anymore, anymore. I didn't have anymore. OAC. Uh, did you miss it no, I was the double. I was the younger. Oh, end you were in the, the double co- cohort. Were in we double were both cohort. in the okay. double cohort, but James was the OAC year, and okay. I was the grade twelve. Year. Oh, is that spooky? Yeah. The double cohort. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting uh, thinking about the way that people you can because you can interpret Shakespeare in so many different yeah. ways. You can put it in different settings, um, and I've done a few productions where, or been involved in some productions where the interpretations were interesting, but they kind of get in the way. You can be re- so high concept that yeah. you keep butting up against Shakespeare yeah. telling the story. It's it's almost like you can be too clever. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's true. I mean, you can be very clever with the stuff and it can work. Yeah. But it can also get in the way. I think we, we tend to go in the opposite direction of trying to not put hmm. too much concept. We're very... We, we like a nice bare bones sure. sort of feel focusing on the words and the incredible actors who we get to work sure. with. Yeah, I mean, I, I believe this is a Shakespeare quote. I should know this, but <laughs> it's Saturday night. Uh, the truth will out. Yeah. You know, I think that's very true. It, you know, I always say that in any form, any form of cutting in Shakespeare's adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. So in any kind of interpretation, conceptualization, it is a form of adaptation. And... I always find that, you know, I do cut the scripts because you have to. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. You have to. They're long or some stuff is not useful in that moment. So I find that, but you always lose something. Mm -hmm. It's never never something of a a subtraction into um, a better situation. Well, maybe not Mm. better is the right word. A subtraction that becomes an addition. You always lose something and you always have to reckon with that. Yes. And uh, I find that that fascinating because, you know, when when we look at these scripts... They are not, you know, they are not finite. That's not what they have to be. Mm-hmm. Frankly, some of them are still disputed to this day yeah. about sure. whether what they are. Yeah. Um, but there's things that, like, we're finding that in Richard right now, working through the text. Like, it's a long play, yeah. and we want to make sure people have a nice evening, but maybe not a four-hour evening. Yeah. yeah. So the cuts that Julia has made are wonderful, and but we do run up to things, and we go, okay. 
Right, like I cut this, so now this doesn't make sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so it, it's <coughs> it. You just have to be smart. Yeah, yeah. clever is 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 a great thing. It's about know? being yeah. thoughtful yeah. about it. Sure. Yeah, because uh, I, I I did a, a production where they decided they were going to do Romeo and Juliet uh, as they were transplanting it into like a Lord of the Flies situation, yeah. kids on an island. island. But then you start losing the parental relationships. Right. And you get so high, like suddenly you're butting up against what Shakespeare is trying to do and you're it's difficult to get around it. You're like dodging Shakespeare's story yeah. in order to serve your concept. I where your concept should serve Shakespeare. Exactly. Yeah. You need to think about what the story is of that play mm-hmm. and how something else can serve that and make that clearer or more relatable for an audience in a present day or something like that. But, yeah, you want to be careful not to take it somewhere where it makes no sense with what the play is doing. Unless you're totally changing the You can can do it, but you have to really, like, you can't call it, you, you can call it Shakespeare, but you can't try to pretend that it's, like, the thing because you can you can cut yeah. around it and adapt it and there are companies who yeah. do incredible adaptations sure. I mean the the Walking Shadows production of Macbeth that Shakespeare in the Rough did a few years ago was beautiful <clears throat> it wasn't Macbeth the play mm-hmm. it was a beautiful adaptation of that story those characters the feeling of it and they used the text I mean they it, did it was it was a different approach to it I think it's always about focus right sure. like, what are you focusing on yeah, you know, if you're gonna set Romeo and Juliet in the Lord of the Flies situation, you know, I necessarily wouldn't do that. Then you, okay, so why? Like, that's my. That's question. the important. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why? I think the important question is like when you're gonna do that. Why? Yeah. What is? What does that do? Why? Why did you what make this choice? Yeah. What does it bring to it? And you know what? There's really smart directors out there that can make, or uh, companies, frankly, it's not just one person; it's many people that can always make really smart decisions and really clever decisions, mm. or really, really streamline an idea, which I think is great. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm more interested for me, and I don't want to speak for Julia, but I assume uh, <laughs> I'm interested in what the play, how it's written, mm-hmm. and like what we can do with that, and in adaptation for us is is usually in either moving things. Changing a couple of things, or just cutting like things, focusing the focusing story. The Sometimes, idea. like when we did Hamlet, uh, Catherine Rainville, the director, got rid of the external world, mm. no fort and bras, yeah. and just really made it kind of more of a family drama. Yeah, and it worked really well. Yeah, I mean the the interesting thing, like there's so much in Hamlet. Have you seen the Brenna Hamlet? Yeah. yeah. All the four one hours. thing that that <laughs> always strikes me about that four hour marathon is. I left thinking that's why people cut. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's a beautiful piece of filmmaking. It's absolutely beautiful, but it does illustrate at points There's the necessity a lot of in that play. of cutting. Yeah. <clears throat> it's 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 constantly again, anytime you do a play, whether it be by Shakespeare or not, yeah. why? Yes. And why what are yeah. we doing with this play in this moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. Looking at something like Richard III, I think you have to you have to reckon with the fact that it's English history, you know, interpreted English history mm-hmm. that there's certain things that you know, this audience in Canada may not understand, but it doesn't mean that it's not going to... They're not going to hook on to it, right? Mm-hmm. They're not going to find that yeah. interest level. You know, it's uh, it's a fun play, I must say. Yeah. Uh, and so there's that, that sort of charismatic middle to it in Richard that you sort of always have that benchmark to go back to, yeah. you know? Uh, but... I mean, I, I, I see everything. Mm-hmm. Anything that has Shakespeare attached to it, I see it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm very impressed by what people can do. Especially mm-hmm. with, like, 
some works that are, are, are taken of more sort of, um, I guess, collages of ideas sure. that bring it into. I find that stuff really interesting, you know, theatrically as well as, um, you know, Shakespeare-wise. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because, you know, you're talking about the... Uh, how in Richard III we're making reference to to history that everybody in Shakespeare's audience knew by heart mm-hmm. and that we don't and yet still the play resonates because I think situations yeah and and because it was historical fiction still mm. yes you yeah, know yeah, yeah. so so he pulled it from the actual history that everyone knew but then created these characters and these mm-hmm. relationships and and little details of what was happening with them and conversations they had and and things like that and really made it real so it's the same way we you know are all watching the crown right now on Netflix yes, and yeah. like we're so into it and these are not I'm not necessarily so into it because I care about that history mm. so much but I'm getting into the characters of it and I yeah. think that's <clears throat> where he succeeded with stuff like that I'm glad you pointed that out because for a while there, I, I was watching The Crown and people were like, "What are you watching on Netflix?" I'm like, "I'm watching The Crown and I can't explain why." Because <laughs> it's good and because yeah. the characters are interesting and not because I care what happened to any of them necessarily. Mm-hmm. But at least I mean, I haven't really watched the second season yet. But, no spoilers. No spoilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> in the first season, watching someone deal with these changes in her life yeah. is incredible. Something mm. that I can't even imagine because I will never be a queen. Yeah. So it's very cool to see that in a like personal way with a character who you get to know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the history plays do too. Whether sure. you can relate to becoming royal or not. Yeah. That's about good government too, yeah. right? Mm. So... It's the politics of those times were different. Obviously, they had different uh, uh, specificities or details, but in the end, they, they resonate, it resonates in a different, more, uh, I guess, allegorical or archetypical way. And we're seeing that now. I mean, government yeah. is so... It's so it's hard so, you know, not to read modern interpretation into something like, like Richard III. The number of times in rehearsal, someone's like, well, that's Trump. Yeah, exactly. Constantly. Like, it's happening constantly. And mm. we picked this show way before really this was oh, yeah. the political climate. And measure for measure. And measure too. for and measure as well. The final show of our season, like <laughs> this whole the whole Me Too movement and everything that's yeah. coming out now. I mean sure. like, this play is shit. about this. It's about, yeah. you know, sexual assault and, and the and the ability uh, you know he, he literally says, "Who will believe thee, Isabel?" I and, know. And it's like this one question again. There's so much attached to that. Yeah. To those uh, what, four words. Yeah. You know, sure. uh, five words. Pardon me. And like it's 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 unfathomable how how much that can still be with us today, yeah. this day, this moment. And Richard, you know, is an exaggeration of a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they were but trying to find. We're living with a real exaggeration. Yeah, I know. That's exactly that's what's amazing that's what about it. feels so strange. Richard seems almost like a little more lovable than oh, the guy we've got in oh, real life. Well, that's because, I mean, the guy, like, Richard talks to you and tells you, like, yeah. Richard has this charm that just sort of, like, because he's... Like, building a relationship with the audience. The audience is his, like, closest friend in the show, which is one of my favorite things about the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so cool. It's also terrifying because he makes you complicit in it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. As people are dying, the audience, as Richard's, like, best friend, are slowly realizing... 
oh, I'm kind of part of this. He kept yeah. telling me what he was going to do, and I laughed at his jokes. And he yeah. said, is this okay? And I said, yeah, this is great. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. He makes everyone part of it. Uh, yeah. It's it's great. Now that you're not doing this at the Victory Cafe, um, what's your where? First off, where is Richard happening? The Monarch Tavern, okay. which we've done a number of shows. A lot of our like not fringe shows have been yeah. at the Monarch. They're amazing there, and it's like our second home now. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're it's such a cool place. Yeah. It's like it's one of our favorites. Evan and Michael, who run the joiners, so great. Yeah. So yeah, but we've been working to kind of find bars throughout the city to not sure. kind of just stick with one place sure. but spread ourselves out a little bit uh we've we have four we did two stage readings earlier this year and we have two full productions coming up and each one is at a different mm. bar uh which is a lot of fun yeah. where's, where's measure for measure happening uh, it's the junction city music hall again oh, cool. uh, for the first time since uh king, since john. king john yeah so yeah. we'll be going back to there and it's really cool i mean we love the, the junction itself is a great place to be mm. it's really an interesting area of, of toronto and it's this basement like really small intimate music space venue. yeah and it, it just really spoke to us the first time we did it and yeah i think um we're really excited about Measure for Measure because it's it's an incredible group of people. Catherine Rainville, who's our associate artistic director, um, is going to be directing it, and I think that she's really tapping into the now of it all. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, venues are one of those things that are hard to find in this city, so sure. we're, we're very fortunate to but, have so many great people that want to work with us. Yeah, we're finding that bars are excited about this idea, yeah. too, though, when we talk to people about it, and... and I think it helps that we have a bit of a track record, but they're really excited to have something different Mm. uh, and to see what happens. And then to see that people coming to this, yeah, they're actually going to buy a lot of drinks and hang out and it's going to be like a really good time. And then at some point, everyone's going to sit down and watch a play from 400 years ago. Yeah, I mean, our, our, our sort of our parameters for a show that at any venue is like it's an empty space with really good beer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what we're hoping for. So uh, we've been very, very fortunate yeah. with that over the years. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I really like that, that. I mean, you're naming a lot of plays that, that people don't often do. Like, who does King John? Yeah. Oh, like, so it's such a great play. It really is a character so drama. Yeah. 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 It's it's about it's about individuals in a, yeah. in a world that is is impressing upon this sort of government or this sort of community that no one wants to be a part of, which is really interesting. So uh, yeah, we've been like, and also because now we started doing these stage readings of plays that are written by his contemporaries, mm. you know. So we just did Volpone <laughs> by Ben Johnson. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a play that's about our time now. It's about greed, greed and yeah. and avarice and, and all these lust. and yeah and just manipulation and it's mm. about a person faking who they are to in order to to manipulate people to get what he wants um it's it's a great study again not chosen for any other reason but it just spoke to us that we mm. like that play i mean that's that's essentially when we sit down and say what should we do we say we like this play. what are we excited mm-hmm. yeah. about you know what makes what makes it you know and as a shakespeare company i think that's you know it's in the name yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know what what is it about this moment in our history? You know, like when we did King John and now with Richard, like the history plays are incredibly hard to produce because, you know, as Julia found out working through the play, 
you know, there's a hundred characters or yeah. how many characters yeah. in Richard. Yeah, there Black. were epic. like seventy they're, something yeah. characters. I was like, what? They're epic. They're we huge. all have they're, seventy uh, actors. Yeah, and I think rather than like a Twelfth Night, where it's like twelve to fourteen, yeah. Yeah. you know, the comedies or even some of the tragedies. Like Julius Caesar is a large play, but it's not a not huge play same. like Richard. So, but it's fun. Also, like doing these plays now in a bare bones staging. There's lots of opportunity to think outside the box, cast differently, mm-hmm. you know, where we, f- from really the beginning, have been really all about gender parity. Uh, our King John was a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played the male lead in Volpone. Not mm-hmm. Volpone, but Mosca, who uh, is a great part, traditionally male. And mm-hmm. we read it, and we were like, this is so good as a woman. Yeah. Uh, it just gives you there's so many opportunities to kind of change things up and make it more relevant and and interesting, mm. I think. Yeah, and I think the whole point the beginning of this company when we started it was about about actors. And sure. it was all about getting the best actors that we can find, uh, and the one and the best actors to work with in the moment and, and throw a script at them and say, What are we gonna do together? What is this going to be? This is about ensemble. This is about company. This is about story and play. And we have, you know, we have to challenge ourselves with difficult plays. Sure. You know, the difficult plays are what make us better, you know. So even plays like, you know, we did Love's Labor's Lost. That's an incredibly hard play. It's it, it, it's deceptively, yeah. Mm. You know, I, I think Comedy of Errors, which you directed a couple years ago, is is a very hard play. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, you know... I think of, you know, we haven't hit Lear yet, but how, you know, when you look at plays like King Lear or Pericles or these really strong but, you know, vast plays, mm. how do you how do you interpret them and who do you need to interpret that with? Yeah. And, you know, we're only as good as the people that want that that we have the privilege of working with. Sure. So, uh yeah, I think we're very uh we're very very keen on trying as much as we can to to to, to be into our own moment at this time as a company and also the moment in time as a yeah. you know as a world sure. and choosing in that realm yeah so. so that people feel like watching these plays in 2017 or 2018 is they're getting something out of it yeah, yeah. absolutely I mean if you if you're watching something like if you're watching Shakespeare and don't get anything out of it then it's almost like you're back when you were forced to go see it yeah exactly and it happens and that's unfortunate but I don't think it's necessary I think there's a way to do it that can take you out of that and can make could maybe take that stigma off of Shakespeare if we can start moving more in this direction because there are so many great indie companies and the larger companies are doing Mm -hmm. it too of doing these more thoughtful productions instead of just saying well this is how it's always been done I, that's one of my least favorite things is that this is how it's always been done. Yeah. yeah. I don't... I'm actually bored if they come out and they're in, like, pumpkin pants and, <laughs> right. and whatever. I, I don't want to see Shakespeare in period anymore. I want to see... Like, yeah. I actually think those costumes get in the way now. Yeah. We don't see... You can get lost in those sure. costumes as an actor. It can be... It's something to, to fight through. Yeah. Uh, you gotta be you gotta be smart. Like yeah. I think I've I've seen it and enjoyed that, that aspect sure. of the of the design or the, the world. Like we're just okay, we're looking at it from a point of view of 
that's that's the times naturalism. At mm-hmm. that, you know, I I guess that's what I've always seen. But if it becomes about the costumes, it becomes yeah. about that. Not again, nothing against <clears throat> costuming. I mean, that's very important. But the words have to speak to us, to an actor now, and in in the theater, you're hearing it in the moment. Yeah, it's it's that it's that sense of you know, it's never going to be the same. It's like always at that time. So. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I as long as it's 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 why mm. it's the why, and yeah. if you are answering that question for me and I can see that, then I'm I'm into it. Yeah, you know, I I I think modern productions are are fantastic. They're hard because you have to. You know, if I see a cell phone on stage, I yeah. always worry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. Like, okay, these are great. But, but I'm like, but the whole the a play. lot of Shakespeare is like miscommunication. Well, that's the thing is like, yeah. is there's certain certain <laughs> plays and certain things where if you could just call somebody up, and yeah. Ask yeah. Them, it doesn't work. If Othello can call Iago or call 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 yeah. Desdemona and say, hey, is this the thing? Yeah, yeah. like the plays over. Or they can just talk to her in general. Yeah, yeah. Than, Well, there's that. There's yeah. that. But like, but yeah. it's like you know, Romeo and Juliet. This you know, I it was a couple years ago they did a social media experiment with it and I was like well social media would have made this play completely Impossible. irrelevant yeah. Yeah. like she would have texted him so we're meeting at the uh, thing yeah. Yeah. where yeah. are you where cool. are you you know it's and, just it's, yeah. it, I'm not saying it can't be done because I've seen it being done well but it's yeah. just one of those it's things it's difficult you to have do to be well. careful I always yeah. kind of go hmm how, I, I mm. get worried I'd yeah. say worried would be the one thing mm. so it's interesting though yeah you know again it, it, we also work bare bones and uh, and out of sheer necessity for the story and the text, sure, and the actor. So we we tend to to keep things very simple. And, yeah. And you know, we did Twelfth Night back in February, and you know, I was really as a director, I was really inspired by you know, this play is about rejuvenation. It's about um, life has been so horrible. Now it's going to get better. So you know, we sort of loosely based in the early you know twentieth uh, century, but after the First World War, you know, mm. this was sort of. The lost generation was gone, and now there's going to be a rejuvenation. Everybody's just so happy to be alive, mm. and that's what's going to be, you know, something that they can cling to. Whether or not it worked, it's not for me to know. But <laughs> um, you know, uh, but again, we have to approximate that because we're working in, you know, small budget land. We're always yeah, yeah. in a bar. Yeah, it's always in a bar. Well, I mean, can't hide that fact. That is a. I mean, th- there's something freeing about the, a limitation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you know that you're always going to be in a bar. You have to. Just, I think you decide whether or not is this play in a bar. Are Which we we've done? Are yeah. like Which is the audience done. separate from it? You know, there's all these. But this is our yeah. our space, and we have to yeah work within it. And I think it it opens you up to new opportunities and and forces you to be even more creative sometimes which mm. like like we always talk about innovation by necessity mm. because we don't necessarily have money for things or huge resources sure. or things like that we really have to be creative about how things are done and sometimes that can create such lovely theatrical magic I love that about about theater when you have to get creative because yeah. of limitations yeah. and it works so much better than if you could afford all of the things yeah yeah yeah, it's pretty exciting. There, are, there are times where we do a show, and I'm like, you know, if someone handed me tons of money, like I'd want to put it in everyone's pockets, but I don't know if I'd change the way we're doing mm. this play. Just Even, hiring some help. Yeah, just maybe <laughs> like pay some people to help me like, with some yeah, of the yeah. things. <laughs> some other stuff. Yeah. I mean, as as producers of uh, of this, and and and. Is your season two shows? How many shows do you do in a season? We're doing four this year, which we've done for the last... Well, it, it varies. It three varies, to four. yeah, three to four. But this year was two staged readings uh, and two full productions. 
as, as a producer, there's 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 two of you, uh, <laughs> and do you do you find that that producing like is your full time job that it that it takes up like or it's as much as a full time job? It's it's a lot. Um, I I worked as a producer for a while, mm-hmm. so luckily uh, I know a fair amount. Mm-hmm. I'm not kind of figuring it out as I go. I, I have a, a good knowledge base. Which a great knowledge base. <laughs> worked She's with. Amazing producer. Because uh, uh, I know a lot of producing, especially self-producing, comes from someone just starting. And I did plenty of that. Sure. And then kind of made it my job for a while. So, so we're lucky that we have kind of figured out what we want to do and how we want to do it. Doesn't mean it's any less work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's, it's so a much work. Huge oh, amount yeah. of work. And it's I wouldn't call it a full time job because you know it, we do have moments where we can focus on other things. Yeah. but it is constantly thinking about. It's, it's constant. Yeah, we you know, you know we we go on vacations and spend the whole time planning and talking and <laughs> imagining and dreaming and and mm. you know we love it. So it doesn't feel horrible to be constantly thinking about it. No. But, uh, it's a lot of work. But it's a lot of work, <laughs> but it's exciting work, and we love it. And, and we get to work with such amazing people and, and often give opportunities and parts to people who we think are incredible and we're not seeing out there doing mm-hmm. the things that we think <clears throat> the world should see them do. Yeah. Uh, so that's exciting, and you know we get to do it all together. Yeah, it's nice to work together, which we, we've kind of worked hard at maintaining that relationship personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just certain things that that Julia is better at than I am, or or maybe not better, more uh, more equipped, <laughs> let's say. Um, so I, or I'm more equipped to, or I'm more, I'm just more interested in, you know, sure. like when it comes to the stage readings, you know, I'm trying more and more to understand the contemporaries and what those plays re- resonate with, and reading all the all that I can about that period. So then I'll say, mm. okay, well, I think. We should do this play, and Julia would be like, "Okay." So now we have to find a venue, and she'll make it all logistics, and then she'll say, "Okay, what is the play about?" And she'll read it, and she'll interpret it her way, and it's a give and take. And then Catherine, who's our associate, who is also a great, <laughs> a great uh, middle ground, <laughs> a great third voice, you know, maybe third vote, mm-hmm. is always a great person to say, "Well, what about this?" And then we have amazing support from so many people. Yeah. Mm. Jay Duras, who is constantly helping you, and Drew O'Hara, her fiance, who's are good for, they're two of our best friends and they're always just like what can I do what can I do what can I do so it's it's always about community and it's we work very hard but we could not do it on our own yeah. and we could not do it without each other I don't mm. believe uh, um, so and we love it you have to love it you have to want to it. do it you absolutely I mean with the amount of work that it has to be to yeah. do to yeah. do these shows the stage readings the, the performances and all that if you didn't love it you would be torturing yourself yeah no, you shouldn't do it yeah no. absolutely <laughs> you, just, you shouldn't do it but it's exciting I mean we our, our first full production was in 2012 so it's been five years that we've had like seasons and done full shows mm. and things like that and every year it gets bigger and we hit new milestones and and that's exciting to see too to think about it and be like it was only five years ago when we were like maybe this will work mm-hmm. maybe someone will want to yeah. come see this so to think what's happened in that time is actually like a great motivation to continue putting in the work and yeah. the effort because a lot is possible and a lot has changed since then and it's, it's exciting to see that mm-hmm. I agree 
Um, doing the readings of, 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 of Shakespeare's contemporaries, are there particular contemporaries that you're most excited to, to investigate? Mm. To, to... That's a good question. Well, I mean, when we started, like, we, I love stage readings. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're, they're such, especially with Shakespeare, because the poetry, you know, is, is so, you can, you can, I'm not saying it's the best way to do mm-hmm. it. You can just in, take in the play that way mm-hmm. through actors speaking it and then sort of visualizing it for yourself in the audience. I mean, we're very staged with our readings. We keep it moving. We have some things. We've and had, we rehearse them. And we yeah. do rehearse them. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different kind of rehearsal period, but we've gotten very good at it. So we started that way. We did Romeo and Juliet and Midsummer Night's Dream just because, really, we both we wanted, wanted to do to. it and said, okay, but this is the, this is the way it's going to work for now. Sure. Um, and then when it came down to continuing the tradition of that, I thought it was best, and Julia agreed, that we move towards more different plays like I don't I think having you know our first stage reading of them was Edward II by Christopher Marlowe mm-hmm. so Marlowe is probably one of Shakespeare's most important contemporaries mm-hmm. and his work is so different but so similar in a way and he in that play especially it's you know whether or not it's it, it was the influencer of Richard II whether or not it was influenced by Richard mm-hmm. II and also the fact that it is about uh, a homosexual king in mm. the world of that time when it was yeah. that was never going to be spoken of on the surface. So, um, and it became it became something that we were really excited about. It's fun to explore a similar style and find the differences. Mm. Like we just worked on a, a Ben Johnson play, and I realized that he's there's this great similarity, and you're using the same skill set mm. to explore the text. But he's just like a cruder version of Shakespeare. Yeah, like it's just and like I'm, I mean that in the best way possible because no. I love it. But he's like my favorite phrase that he uses is "windfucker," <laughs> and it's for someone with gas. Oh. They are a windfucker, and I was like, of course, that's how Ben Johnson Shakespeare would find this like beautiful, eloquent way of saying <laughs> sure. it. Not Johnson. Well, I mean, and Johnson is a satirist through and through, yeah. right? He was always looking at his contemporary world and saying, this is how I'm going to turn mm-hmm. it on its head. He was also, like, he was also kind of this angry egotist. You know, yes. His, his yeah. biography is absolutely fascinating. He's one of the most fascinating people to listen and to read about. So, I mean, he was a, he was on the high on the list. And Thomas Middleton and Will, in conjunction with William Raleigh, we did yeah. The Changeling. I just love that play. I think Thomas Middleton is is slowly becoming one of the more important mm-hmm. contemporaries in our modern mm-hmm. critical history. Um, there's so many. You know, John Webster is probably the best writer other than mm-hmm. Shakespeare. John Ford is a unique writer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure my overly scholarly friends um, like A.J. Richardson will now want to throw in a few uh, on the talk when we talk. But, I mean... There is a there is a there is a vast resource of great mm. plays yeah. and a lot of crappy plays, but they're they're yeah. interesting, you know. So that's what we always say. I guess when we come together and we say, "What are we going to choose for this?" We go, "What's interesting?" Yeah. And you know, uh, I think for Volpone, it's probably one of the one of the most grossly funny plays I've it's ever worked so on. Funny and. Horrible. It's a horrible. Like it's mean. It's nasty. But it's incredible. But what's really cool is to watch an audience hear a play for the first time. Yeah. Mm. Because you don't get that so much with Shakespeare. Sometimes you do. King John, we had a lot of people who had never seen it before. But you know, Richard the Third, most people know what's gonna happen when they come to see it. But Volpone I'm going to say 90% of our audience that night had no clue what was going to happen. Of course, yeah. 
pretty cool with that's these That's exciting plays. that it's a play that's like 500, 600 years old and people are like, we'll be discovering it yeah. for the first time. And discovering Johnson. Yeah. You know, as we a don't, writer. We don't produce Johnson very no. often. Oh, unless it's at Stratford or it's at a university. And, and I'm not saying that we, I'm not, I would never say that we have to produce any play more, especially 400-year-old plays. But I do think that he is... He is a writer that is of mm. this time, mm. sometimes slightly more than Shakespeare, yeah. because we live in such a harsh world right now. I, it's not even the right word for it that he takes on that harshness. Yeah, you know, I always said he he really he was a moralist in the fact that he turned it on your face to see to look to make you look at it and say this is what's wrong with the world, and then he'd have this little smile on the side of yeah. his face. Yeah, Johnson was always like, you know, I'm, I'm not not a part of this at all. So. You know, he he was very apparently trying to go after the morals of the time, mm-hmm. satirize these people. Well, Shakespeare is a bit is is far more ambiguous, and reading through the plays, you just get that. You know, what is Hamlet really all about? You know, what is Twelfth Night really all about? Mm-hmm. I think Shakespeare's asking questions, not really giving answers. Sure, not to say that Johnson isn't doing the same thing, but he's more forthcoming with his answers yeah. I would say, than or his people. opinion yeah yeah. you know The Changeling is a beautiful play it's one of the best plays I think written in that time it, it is like it's a it's a thrill ride mm-hmm. you know <laughs> it's it should be produced all the time it was just done at Stratford and I think it should it's it's a great play you know there's you know Marlowe's plays are controversial mm-hmm. as much as Shakespeare's plays yeah, yeah, are controversial yeah. I mean Doing the Jew of Malta now would be a very big feat, even though I really like that. No, you can almost, you can, you, I mean, but you can't even do Merchant of Venice these days. No, well, that's a yeah, that's that's a tough one. I'm Jewish, yeah, and it's one that I've struggled a lot with. I'm sure, uh, I I have trouble sometimes sitting in an audience and watching that play and watching people laugh at things that I think like, are you laughing at the wit of the writing? Or are you laughing at this character it's a tough, and yeah. and some things that I would find offensive? Sure. But it's also one of those things that more and more, the more we keep talking about it, I keep thinking maybe it's something I would like to direct at some point. Hmm. Uh, I think I don't want someone else to direct it yeah. for our company. That would make me uncomfortable. But maybe there's something in there that I want to explore. Hmm. Uh because it's also still a really interesting and beautiful play. Yeah. But I think you just need to be very careful about how it's presented. Sure. And everybody has their Merchant of Venice, right? You know, for some, The Taming of the Shrew is a yeah. play that yes. you just cannot yeah, yeah. buy. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that. Othello is another play that it just has a, a, a very uh, difficult racial dynamic that is hard for people to stomach. There's and I understand so that. There's so much of that in these plays. Mm. You know, like... Uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona is a really hard play. It, it, it is really. That it's, was a really I, I like yeah. that. Again, I'm, a, I'm I'm that kind of person that I like. I like everything. Mm-hmm. I, I either everything's interesting or nothing's yeah. interesting. Sure. So I mean, and looking at the contemporaries, there's so much in those plays that are that times even worse than what you know mm-hmm. Shakespeare's putting out there. I mean, if you hold up the Jew of Malta versus the Merchant of Venice, they're very yeah. different plays, yes, first of yeah. all. And, you know, the the way that that dynamic of Judaism is, is treated in those plays is much different. It's yeah. night and day. Well, it's why I can consider doing the Merchant of Venice, but I have no interest in touching the Jew of Malta. Well, let's talk about it. <laughs> um, we won't do Marlowe for in, a in, in doing uh, the contemporaries, um, does that make you know there are those people who are like Shakespeare didn't write those plays that whole thing does actually looking at some of those people that that 
those guys say, well, obviously Ben Johnson wrote Shakespeare's plays. Does that sort of give you, like, perspective on there is no fucking way that Johnson wrote Shakespeare? This is something... James has gotten into fights with people Mm. at bars about this, like, people who are sitting at another table and he overhears them talking and he gets angry. Oh, come on. They come over to us. You make me sound like a monster. (laughs) I go over to something, they're just talking, like, wait a minute, you know? It It is a touchy subject because... In my opinion, one hundred and fifty percent. Yeah, Shakespeare wrote the plays by William Shakespeare. There's interesting ideas. Like recently, there's new evidence that suggests maybe Henry the Sixth is a collaborative play. I haven't read that evidence, so I don't know what it is. When I read that play, most of it speaks to Shakespeare. Mm. Right now, I'm, re- I'm I'm preparing to direct Titus Andronicus for Hart House sure. Theater. I'm very excited. Hello, everybody there. Um, it's a play that is thought to be extremely collaborative, sure. if not the first part written by a writer by the name mm. of George Peel, which was he's a very novice writer considering you know who Shakespeare was. Did Shakespeare collaborate with him? Did Shakespeare take an old play that was written by Peel and then spruce it up? I don't know. My gut tells me that Shakespeare wrote the entire play, sure. and there's a lot of reasons, and I could go into in depth, but no one's that interested about it other than me. <laughs> um, so, in my mind, 150% Shakespeare wrote these plays. Sure. People can believe whatever they want. I will have conversations with them, and that will be what that is. <laughs> I always find, I find that, that... There's a couple know, books you I'm can read. Looking at the, the plays by other people, that to me, there's no way... No, they're that so different. They write in such different ways. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, we, like, that was one of the things we really liked about our first, four, uh, first uh, production uh, stage reading with uh, Christopher Marlowe, is we found a lot of the actors going... It's what you were saying, Jules. It's like it's similar, but it's different. You know, yeah. Marlowe yeah. is so it's forward moving yeah. beyond belief. You gotta you gotta keep up with that train. It's going down that hill. You gotta catch the argument where you can. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare will have those moments where he'll he'll go off on tangents and he'll come back to sure. the point. And the metaphor is much more extended in Shakespeare. It's, yeah. it's the same type of work as like as an actor, you're approaching it in the same way. But there's just no way reading those words aloud that you would confuse one for the other. Sure. They are so drastically different. Yeah, and I mean, Ben Johnson is, is to me, the mo- probably the most important contemporary of Shakespeare because they're night and day. They're yeah, absolutely yeah, different. Yeah. And they write differently. They, they, the way they look at things are differently. It's not proof, but it's 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 pretty it's pretty good evidence yeah. in my mind. Yeah. So, uh, I'm with you. I'm with you there because yeah. when... Good. <laughs> no, absolutely. There's, no, there's never been a question in my mind. There's one of those interesting things when, because I, th- I feel like a lot of the people who are who go into that, they either look at the plays in such an academic way that they don't think about how they're read and how they feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. I think that that once you start reading them out loud, it's so obvious. But even academics mm-hmm. in England, United States, in Canada, th- th- so many academics have proved through close reading Absolutely. and historical evidence that it, it's most likely, without being certain, that Shakespeare wrote these plays. Yeah, you know, if you read a book called a docu- uh, William Shakespeare: a Documentary Life by Sam- Samuel Schoenbaum, mm-hmm. I hope I got that name right because if I don't, I'm going to hear about it. It is a beautiful portrait of who Shakespeare was by using simple facts, yes. documented yeah. facts. So, as, you know, one of the things that sometimes – it's because it's a very emotional, it's a personal – it's the way we look at writers now. Mm. We know so much about writers. Yes. But back then we didn't. If you look at writers like Thomas Decker, who was another playwright of the time and a pamphletist – pamphletist, I don't know how to say the word. He – we don't know much about his life. Sure. You know – 
we don't know a ton about Marlowe. We have more conjecture about Marlowe than we have about Shakespeare. Yeah. You know, or as much. Like, he was thought to be a spy. Yeah. He was, you know, he was killed in a reckoning of a bar because of a reckoning at a bar. You know, we understand all this. This is all history. So I just say the evidence to me closely and pretty convincingly points to this. So I'm just not even yeah. going to get into that. Absolutely. Other emotional argument mm. that the sonnets are about. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, so yeah, yeah. many. I can't get into it. It's just going to be a, It's going to be me <laughs> spouting yeah, off. That is, that, is, that is another podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, when, is, when is Richard III happening? It is in February, okay. uh, the 6th to the 11th. Nice. Yeah, starring James as Richard III. Yes. And my friend Suzette McCanny. And uh, Suzette McCanny. She's yeah. playing Margaret. And Prince Edward and a Everybody whole has, bunch of yeah. characters. Everyone other than James plays a whole bunch of characters. Well, they kind of have to. They have <laughs> they to. I have mean, to. I've cut it down a lot in terms of the number of characters kind of combining people mm. or cutting people entirely. But no, everyone still has to play a lot of people. Mm. Where can we find you guys and Shakespeare Bashed online? Uh, we are uh, Shakespeare Bashed on Facebook, at Shakespeare on Twitter and Instagram, and ShakespeareBashed.com. And it's spelled S-A-S-H-A-K-E-S-P-E-A-R-E-B-A-S-H-D.com. Did I, I get right? hope that was right. If yeah. it's not, it's going to be in the show notes. Yay. Don't worry. I'm going to make sure that it's there. Bashed is yeah. without an E. No E. Yeah. No E in Bashed is, is the important part. Uh, and, and all our social media is the two of us, and we don't have any of our own personal <laughs> social media. That works out. Our, our Instagram and Twitter is just us posting pictures of beers we drink uh, <laughs> and plays we see. <laughs> Well, that's, that's a legit... Yeah, that's a legit these are the things beer, we do. Beer. Those are the two things I like the most. Yeah. Really, so. <laughs> Thanks a lot, you guys. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you.